another episode of In My Network. And today I'm really, really excited to have Alon Alvats with me. Alon is the co-founder of Insights, a cybersecurity company that recently got acquired by Rapid7. He's also the founder of Confe Kesif, which means wings of money in English, a nonprofit focused on financial literacy for teenagers, and basically an avid creator, entrepreneur, and thought leader. I actually came across um, Alon's post on LinkedIn not too long ago, thought it was super inspiring, the article that was written on him, decided to ask him to take part in this too, and surprisingly, he agreed. So Alon, I'm really happy to have you here with me today, and thank you for joining me. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for hosting me. Um, you asked me if I would like to join. I said, you know, I'd be happy. I'm always happy to share my story with others, you know, to help other people, you know, take their first step in entrepreneurship or their uh, next step in their career. So whenever I can be helpful, I'm happy to. Amazing. I, I appreciate it. And I'm sure other people that listen will also appreciate anything that you're willing to share. So I kind of like to jump into this usually a bit about, you know, your career and all that, but I've read enough about you. So I know, I think quite a bit about that and we will get into that anyways, but I want to jump right into it and say, who are you? Like, what was your childhood like that you are who you are today? <laughs> yeah, it's a very interesting question. I can tell you that many times I give lectures about entrepreneurship and my personal story as entrepreneur. And many times I ask myself, okay, where my story starts as entrepreneur? And I think that the answer is that it starts when I was in elementary school, like nine, 10 year old. Uh, so back then, like any other kid, I really wanted to go to my dad's uh, work, to my dad's office. That was always my dream. I always wanted to, my dad told me, no, it's not a good time. You need to go to school. You need to go to whatever. Um, but I always, you know, said, I want to go, I want to go. And I really remember, you know, this one time when my dad agreed to take me and I stepped into the office, my dad worked back then as a CFO in a high tech company. And I was so, you know, amazed and excited by the energy, by, you know, how it looks like. And I think that is probably like, you know, the, the first time when I said to myself alone, you might, you, you might should consider being a tech entrepreneur. Um, so I think, you know, this is where it uh, all uh, began for me. Um, mm -hmm. So as a kid, I was a, a good kid overall, I think at least. Um, school wasn't too much for me, I have to say. So I was, uh, I got bored really fast. I remember my teacher in elementary school tell my parents, he never listens in class, but somehow in exams, he, he does fine. Um, and I remember my high school uh, uh, teacher talking to my parents. My parents say, we don't see him do homework. Uh, we don't see him invest too much in his studies. And my teacher said, I'm not complaining. I don't know why you're complaining. Um, so I, was, I wasn't too uh, involved in classes. Uh, in high school, I used to travel in school, talking to my principal, talking to the secretary uh, whenever I got bored. But in the end of the day, exams were important for me. It was important for me to succeed in my studies. So I was prepared very well for exams. And overall, I think I was a good student. Uh, I would assume so. I mean, with your <laughs> success, I would assume so. I guess I would call you kind of like a smart ass. You know, you did what you had to do to get by. You did it well. And the rest of it, you were like, yeah, let someone else do it. So. <laughs> 
they say smart people find easy ways uh, to get things done. So I guess you're you're one of those. But diving deeper into that, I mean, school and whatnot, okay. And then there were was there like after school activities or certain hobbies that yeah. you were strong on that you feel like they kind of helped you develop your brain and just be more open to to learning more things. Yeah, uh, definitely. I actually think that like. The main thing I got from, you know, my high school period wasn't like, you know, improving my brain, actually. It was actually improving my, my soft skill. So mm -hmm. I was always this, this, you know, high school student who got involved in the kiosk and tried to, you know, arrange anything. And we sold the, you know, uh, candies to uh, the entire school. And when there was like a big uh, event to arrange by the students, I was one of the people who arranged it. So I always looked for projects for initiatives you know always look for things to create things to build and I think you know really from a very early stage you know this drive this motivation of creation to build something that didn't exist before that was something very very big to me no matter where I was you know was mm -hmm. school after school activities or later on as a, a university student or as an entrepreneur Makes sense. Makes sense. That's really interesting. I find that, you know, there's so many people out there. That that's kind of how they get into things is those little things in school and taking part in things. And then they realize that they kind of just like creating and having control in a way and over something. Um, so that's that's very interesting. So from school, you went into the army, I'm assuming. And from there, I understood that you were in the cyber kind of field over there, correct? Yeah, actually, I started in infantry, okay. so I was really into, you know, getting into the IDF and having a meaningful um, um, service, uh, so I really wanted to go into infantry, uh, but unfortunately, a few weeks into the service and training, I hurt my hearing, oh. uh, so I couldn't continue as a, um, as a, as a fighter, mm -hmm. and then I moved to the intelligence corps, 8200. Uh, so in a way, it was by mistake or, or by luck, if you may say. And this is where I got all my technological background and education. So in high school, the last thing I wanted to hear about is computer science. You know, I, I wanted to learn anything besides computer science. Mm -hmm. uh, because I really thought that computer science is about coding. Mm -hmm. And only when I got into 8200, I realized that technology is a lot more. It's an entire world. If you talk specifically about cyber, so it's a world of attackers and defenders and find way in and protecting. And I found it really, really interesting and a fascinating world. And in 8200, cyber became something that is extremely interesting for me and something that is actually potentially something that I would like to do later on in life. Mm -hmm. So in many ways, it really changed my, my path, the fact that I did this transition. And that's an interesting transition, too, because, I mean, maybe what I've heard is incorrect. Who knows if it's rumors or not? But I kind of understood that with uh, Shmone Matayim, which is the 8200, um, you really have to be, like, selected to get in there. They, like, watch these kids for years to find the best ones that they're going to put in there. So how did that transition actually happen for you? How did you going there was it because you just had great results in school and it made sense uh, what was it that put you there yeah so actually uh before i got recruited to the idf so i did a lot of tests to the intelligence force mm -hmm. and overall i did well uh, i actually got to you know one of the 
uh, intelligence units, but I just gave it away because I wanted to go to infantry. So once I couldn't proceed, and I was able to convince uh, my my infantry unit that you know I can do a lot more uh, in intelligence and contribute a lot more to the country as part of the intelligence corps, and they allowed me to get out. So intelligence corps were happy to have me in because they already knew what I'm capable of and they already saw you know my my tests and exams before I got into the idea. Makes sense. Makes sense. That's uh. It's like you were meant to be there. I mean, everything kind of uh, came in your way and you tried to stop it, but you were clearly really meant to be there. So I understand that that's kind of like your first kind of view of cybersecurity and understanding it. And then from there, what happened? I mean, is that when you left the army, you started in uh, insights? What, what happened in that period in between? Yeah. So first of all, I took a one year in a yeshiva uh, to spend some more time um, learning, you know, Jewish studies and investing in spirituality. I have faith, you know, I'm, I'm a religious person. That was very important for me. And right after I thought that I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I had no idea where to start. Everyone went to university. So I said, okay, maybe I can start with university until I can figure it out. I thought to myself, okay, what degree would help me the most becoming an entrepreneur? And I came to the conclusion that law and accounting uh, can help me there. My parents really put a lot of pressure on me. Listen alone. We learn economic and accounting. Don't do it. Go learn engineering or something of this nature. But I said, no, this is what I want to do. I also liked uh, economics to some extent. So that was a, a nice path for me. Um, and this is how I started. Yeah, very early in my studies, again, I understood that you know, it's not for me. <laughs> After, uh, sitting all day long and studying, it's not for me. And two weeks later, I approached Guy, who was my co-founder in Insights, and told him, Guy, are you into entrepreneurship? He told me yes. And I told him, okay, let's do something together. And we just started, you know, running a lot of ideas uh, for uh, ventures, for, you know, companies. Um, and this is how it all started. And on my first year of studies, uh, I established with Barack, which was my co-founder of Confei Kesef, Wings of Money, um, um, you know, a company, a nonprofit company to go to high schools to teach financial literacy to students, because we had this feeling that what we learn in accounting about money, about uh, interest, uh, you know, about uh, loans, et cetera, et cetera, this is something that anyone has to know. And we felt like, you know, it's not possible to finish like 12 years, you know, of uh, being part of the Israeli education system. And we didn't, we didn't learn these um, um, important topics. And we decided to do something about that. And we actually opened this, and opened this nonprofit and start teaching, you know, high school students uh, financial literacy. That's so powerful. It's something that, you know, is brought up a lot lately that I think, especially for me, was always missing that even I, I see how it affects my life now. I mean, I never thought that I would be having kids this young or I'd be in the situation I'm in now at the age of 25. But there was really no kind of training or education on money and managing money. Um, and I think that's so important because it's just it should be part of the curriculum and it should be something that's taught from a young age 
And when you're not taught that and you miss out on it, it's very, very hard to catch up and really wrap your head around that and, and actually be able to, to understand what's going on with your money. So I love that. I'm not a teenager, but I might need to look into that too. Um, one thing that you mentioned there, uh, which was interesting to me, you mentioned religion and how you know you are a faithful person. And I know that you've you know re been really deep into the whole tech scene. Myself too, I've worked in companies, you know, in Tel Aviv, so forth. And do you ever feel like there's any kind of issue between, you know, religion and the tech scene? Have you ever felt that it's harmed you in any way or or made things difficult for you or have you felt that it's only benefited you? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I feel that, you know, in many ways uh, it kept me, you know, with my moral standards, with who I am. Um, so, you know, in many ways I grew up on, you know, always stay modest, you know, don't think you're more than others, you know, looking every, at everyone eye level. So I think in many ways, you know, it kept me uh, and I'm really thankful for that. In Israel, I didn't feel like it was too much of a burden or limited me too much. But I have to say, you know, when it came to, to global business, so, you know, sometimes, you know, I'm at a non-kosher restaurant, so I'm not able to eat uh, while everyone eats. So it's okay. It's not too pleasant, you know, for me personally, but, you know, this is something that you have to do, you know, to make the business uh, uh, running and make it successful. So you do it. Sometimes you have to go and, and scout for kosher food <laughs> afterwards. Um, so it's not like, you know, the most pleasant, but, you know, you know, you do what you have to do. And if you need to sit in a non-kosher restaurant, so I do it. I eat what I can eat or scout for kosher food afterwards. That makes sense. Yeah, I get that. It's, um, I think that for the most part, most people, especially when it's kind of outside of Israel, will understand it in the in the sense that they respect it you know but it's still kind of hard to wrap their head around especially if they're not jewish and they just don't know those rules because it can seem kind of like why can't you just eat you know <laughs> what's the issue here so uh it's nice to hear that you know you stick to that and you stand on that i think it's important and it also shows you as a person that the things that you believe in you really stick with and you don't just uh pick and choose when it suits you so that that's definitely important in business and and I really think that people, when you explain to them, they have a lot of respect for that, you know? Definitely. When you stick to your beliefs and you explain your beliefs, you know, even if it looks weird in the beginning, people have respect to that in the end of the day. And like you said, they see that you stick in what you believe in and you stick with that, you also stick to your startup until it's uh, very successful. Makes total sense. Makes total sense. And it really matches together. So going into that global business and all that so you built up insights and then you got sold to rapid seven or you sold yourself i should say uh to rapid seven what was all of that like like i mean i read a bit about it and i read you know like you said you're very modest and you just bought a skoda afterwards uh, who knows what i would do if that, something like that happened to me um but what was all that like? It's such a major switch, like switching into an American company, especially the fact that you're working with Rapid7 now and your role is there. So I'd love to hear, you know, how did the team change? How did the dynamic change? What were your first thoughts when that happened? I mean, go for it. Just tell us everything. For sure. So that's obviously a big change for everyone, you know, for me personally, you know, Stanley, it's not my company. It's not all on, on my shoulders to carry and make 
make sure it's successful and now part of a bigger story. Uh, but I think that it's also a big change for all the employees who came to Insights to a certain company with a certain culture, a certain mission, and suddenly they're now part of a bigger company and they had no control on, on this decision in many ways. Um, and I think that, you know, the first thing that I had to in mind is how, you know, I help our employees who got us this, this far, right? It's, it's really thanks to them, how I make sure they understand, you know, where we're going, what is the new vision, giving them, you know, I know structure, stability, giving them vision. And I think that was like, you know, what my number one mission, I think any founder that goes through this process, that should be the first thing uh, it focuses on. Um, so for me, it was a lot about, you know, talking to employees, understanding their, their, their questions, listening to them and make sure you give them a clarity. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that was like uh, the main thing. Uh, I think there is a lot of opportunities when you do this type of uh, transition. So I personally, you know, I, I've never worked as a, as a regular employee, right? I think I've worked three months before Rapid7. Uh, so that is for me an opportunity, one, to understand what it is like to be an employee, right? I think, you know, it's really helped me understand, you know, their, uh, the employee's perspectives. And, um, and also it's an opportunity to be a part of a bigger American global company uh, and learn from their processes, uh, from how they do things. Now we suddenly have new um, tasks like integrating two products together something that I've never experienced before. So I think there are a lot of opportunity and also, you know, from scale and growing the business, that is really an accelerating um, um, event, right? Mm-hmm. So suddenly we have access to 10,000 of uh, Rapid7's uh, customers and that we can sell uh, our product to. So suddenly you grow a lot faster and you have to, you know, you have to manage a lot faster growth and scale, and also also a big challenge. So overall, I see it as a great opportunity to learn and do really great things and take my baby insights to its next level. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a major boost and being in a company too that's that large and, and has those many so many resources, I can definitely help in so many ways. But I'm qu- I have a question, which might seem like a silly one. I'm not a techie person. I see cybersecurity company. It all means the same thing to me. What do you think it was that really was so different and stood out about Insights to Rapid7 that they decided to purchase you guys instead of all the other companies around? Yeah. So I think that for Rapid7 and Insights, there was an amazing alignment from culture and up to the market we were targeting and the characteristics of the product. So Insights was about providing intelligence from the internet, from dark web forums and what hackers are discussing and planning, credentials that are being published on various uh, uh, file sharing websites, fake social media profiles, fake mobile application, any cyber threat that can be identified out there. What was very special about Insights is that we're really focused on identifying these threats in an automated fashion and help you with the remediation. So even if you didn't have a large team of analysts that can go through a lot of data and identify only what is relevant to you and then take care of all the mitigation steps, 
you know, with insights, even if you had a smaller team that couldn't do all that, you would be able to have a very successful and impactful threat intelligence program because we provide you what is relevant and we also help you with the mitigation. So we were a very good fit for also a smaller companies. And this is in many ways what Rapid7 is trying to do. Rapid7 mission is to bridge the expertise and talent gap that exists in the market. So providing tools that are a lot more simple, that the time to ROI is very fast. You don't need a very complicated onboarding. So in many ways, our products had the same uh, mission and targeted the same market. So it was a very good alignment. And I think even more importantly, there was a very good cultural fit. So it's actually funny because when you start a conversation and we compared inside the values to roughly seven values, three of them were, were almost the same, wow. okay? For example, you know, we had win together, they had impact together. So, you know, doing it, you know, together in a very collaborative way, it's something that is deep, you know, in Rapid7 and in Insights culture. And we had also very nice discussion, a very good energy in almost any meeting that we had. So we really felt that it's uh, natural. Huh. Wow, it really does sound like the perfect fit, I guess. I mean, things just kind of fall together for you, Alon. That's what I'm hearing up until now. <laughs> maybe, maybe. And when you went into that, and I don't even know how this process looks of, you know, selling your company to another huge company, but I'm sure it, it is kind of a process and takes some time. So during that time, I'm sure you kind of looked for advice, uh, whether it was a mentor, friends, family, what is kind of the best piece of advice that stuck with you that you got going into this? Going into the acquisition, you mean? Going into the acquisition or even go, like in the beginning with insights, what's kind of one piece of business advice that really just you live by that you yeah. receive from someone else? Um, so I think, you know, it's about seeing the opportunity in everything you do. So selling your company is a tough decision. Like it's really your baby. You gave your heart, your soul, your time, everything to this company. And now you kind of give it away. Uh, so I think that, you know, it was, it was a tough decision. Uh, but I think that when you do all this type of decision, it was important to see the opportunity, to see, to focus on the upside, on the benefit. And I think that when we looked at the opportunity of making our product, an intelligence product about cyber threats, part of the bigger story of detection and response of cyber uh, incidents, um, that made a lot of sense. We really believe this is where the market uh, go. And also on the personal level, it was an opportunity for all the things that I mentioned earlier, you know, to learn from a big company, a global company, you know, see how it works, experience uh, and new things. And that is really, you know, what, you know, drives me. And was that kind of part of the deal that the insights teams, you, your other co-founders would, would join Rapid7 or was that something that you wanted to do in order to, you know, keep up with, with your little baby? So obviously Rapid7 wanted us to say that stay, this is obviously very important for them to make sure there is continuity and we continue to grow and keeping the leadership is an important part of that. But also from my perspective, to me, it's extremely important to see that the thing that I build continue to grow and mature. So I like to say it's like a kid, right? 
you you grow him you, you you see him grow up you help him grow up but when he's small at some point it's time to take off so you know you have to give him you know the the possibility to take off by its own but you also want to you know stay in the background to support when it's necessary so you know anyone who's a parent knows the situation where you know your kids become more independent but you're still there in the background you know to make sure they keep on growing keep on developing they're not being you know held back and this is for me very very important so i really want to see intel growing from you know, 400 customers when we did the acquisition to 1000 customers mm-hmm. and see that the thing that i invested so much in keeps on growing and helping customers around the world yeah that makes sense i mean it's it's exciting too to know that now you have you know all the resources and it's just kind of up from here so I can imagine how how cool that is for you and everyone that started insights with you to to actually see the growth and speaking of kind of like an end goal for you i mean you've had an exit now i think that's a huge accomplishment most people don't see in in their lifetime so what is kind of the end goal for you like not necessarily even with insights or rapid seven but where do you see yourself in like 20 30 years where would you want to be (laughs) a very good question I think right now I really focus on my work at Rapid7 and how like to make Insight successful, you know, as part of Rapid7. I don't uh, invest too, too much time in thinking about what is next. Uh, but I think, you know, knowing myself and my characters and what drives me, I would definitely do at least one more round of uh, another uh, tech startup because this is really what I love to do. And after that, I think I would consider to do something that is um, like in the public sector, maybe, uh, to contribute from, you know, myself to, you know, the Israeli uh, population and to the Israeli state. Uh, I still don't know what or where or how, but this is something that I believe that I will get to sooner or later. Well, whenever you think of, you know, the next great idea for that tech startup or the public thing, you know, you can always reach out to me. I'm happy to help and, and join you in on that. So I'm here for you alone. I have to ask now, you're a dad. I know that you have kids. I don't know how many, but you're a smart guy. You've done a lot in your life. Are you kind of preparing them and teaching them to go into this? Or you just do whatever you guys please and be the people that you want to be? It, it's really intriguing to me because you probably have tons of knowledge that you could be teaching them already, say about computer cybersecurity, so that by the time that they're 18, they could be like beasts in this field. Is, is that something that you're doing? Is that something that you're focusing on? So my ed- educational agenda is to like direct each of my kids to what is suitable for him. Mm-hmm. So for me, this question really depends on the kids, you know, you know, what he wants to do, what are his skills uh, are. Um, but obviously, the, you know, my personality has effect on that. So, for example, no matter what, each and every one of my kids is going to know English. You know, mm-hmm. it's not, no question about that. Because the way I see the world, the world is becoming more global. The human knowledge is mostly in English. And you have to know English, you know, because this is how the future would look like. Um, but I have, uh, you know, one kid that I think will really enjoy tech, so I'm op- exposing him to that. I have another kid that really likes to dance, so invest in uh, in dancing. You know, beyond that, it's really 
you know, what the kids, you know, I feel it's more suitable for him. So I won't, I'm not the kind of guy of, okay, whatever you want to do, you know, you can do. I believe in education and I believe in giving kids direction and support, but it's not direction based on what I dreamed that they would become to be. It's more direction to what I believe would be good for them. That makes sense. That makes sense. It's, I think it's so important to, to be supportive like that and, and really just feel them out because, you know, you can offer them everything, but if they don't want to do that, then they're going to do what they want to do. I mean, kind of like your parents, you know, they didn't want you to go into, into their sector and that's exactly what you went and did. So I guess it kind of doesn't work like that. So we'll go ahead. We'll start wrapping up. I have like two more questions for you. Um, the first one would be like, what should we really be expecting from you or maybe even better to say rapid seven in this coming year? Um, is there anything exciting we should be looking out for any cool trends? Yeah, de definitely. So rapid seven is really going uh, to a place where it provide like, you know, consolidated uh, solution. Uh, so today the security market is very, you know, fragmented. So the average security person needs to handle like dozens of different products. And I think, you know, the Tropic 7 is really, you know, taking this direction of making it out all, you know, in one place and taking intelligence, for example, make it an integral part of other solutions. So you don't have to flip for one another all day long. So, you know, this is really, you know, where a, a Rapid 7 is going. And I believe that generally the market is going there customers expect uh, to get that uh, from security vendors uh, in general. And besides that, you should expect a lot of innovation in any area that Rapid7 is, uh, is handling from intelligence to cloud security to um, extended detection and response uh, because we really wanna win the market, be the leaders, be the best, and essentially uh, be the optimal solutions for our customers. Awesome. I'm sure all the techie people that just heard that or are going to hear that mm -hmm. are excited by that. For me, it's kind of like, okay, innovative, love it. Um, but I'm sure it's it's something really interesting and I'll, I'll try my best to keep up with it. So my last question for you, Alon, which I like to ask, if I could grant you one wish, what would it be? One wish. Yeah, one wish. Only one, though. I'm not a genie. You can't ask for more than one. <laughs> um, so I guess it would be more quality time with my kids, I guess. Um, I have to say that, you know, COVID is bad news for everyone. But one advantage is the fact that it will allow us to be more at home. Uh, so as we speak, I'm quarantined with my kids at home which is a lot of pressure, as you can all guess. I'm not fun in every minute, uh, but I think that, you know, I have more time with my kids and I suddenly understand, you know, what I missed in the pre-COVID years when I was a founder and, you know, founded the startup with all, everything that's derived from that. And I think, you know, more and more quality time with my kids uh, would be really great. Love it. That's a, that's a good one. And if you want, you can take my kids as well. The more the merrier, <laughs> right? <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> Alon, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for joining us. Um, this was really exciting for me, and I hope that you enjoyed your time with me as well. I'm really excited to share this, and thank you. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure. 
and I hope you know my story will be very helpful to other entrepreneurs or any other person with his career. Definitely. And the best place for people to reach you, follow along with you would be LinkedIn? Yes, for sure. Awesome. Reach out. We'll make sure uh, to go ahead, have your link in, um, in the subject here and definitely people should keep up with you. I know I am. Great. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thanks, Alon.